Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. Sam Sokol joins me fortnightly on the slot to talk about issues facing Jewish communities in the diaspora. Today we talk about the fact that U.S.-based Anti-Defamation League, with the support of religious leaders of various faiths, urged Secretary of State Rex Tillerson to appoint a special envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism. Sam, welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Sam, just before we go on to the real issues of the day, um, this morning you discovered South Africa's caramel-colored soft drink called Iron Brew. Uh, Yes, I live in Beit Israel, and we have quite a number of South Africans. So our local grocery stocks a lot of uh, American products, some South African products. So uh, I tried it this morning. I have to admit I'm a bit of a soda snob. Uh, I'm from New York. So it doesn't really live up to uh, my beloved celery, but uh, it's not bad. Can you get it's not bad. Can you get celery in, in – did you say you're in Jerusalem? Uh, I'm in Beit Shemesh. Just Beit Shemesh. Okay, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Can you get uh, celery in Beit Shemesh? They've uh, stopped selling it here, actually. They only sell it in a few places. You can get it in uh, in New York and Florida, only a few places even in the States. It's really a New York thing. So they used to sell it here, and they stopped. So I'm going to the, uh, to New York in about a month, so I'm planning on stocking up. Will you send some here so I can kind of experience what you're talking about and kind of make my own decisions about Anne Brew versus Selray? Uh, yeah, let's talk after the show. <laughs> Sam, just again, staying on the topic, you are you are originally from Manhattan, correct? Yes, I am. Being in Israel, what do you miss most about kind of Manhattan life for Jews? Uh, aside from just the urban density, the feeling of being in the center of the world, uh, you know, in, in Israel, you, you feel like you're in the center of the world spiritually, but uh, in New York, you feel like you're in the center of the world in every other respect. <laughs> aside from that... Uh, and, and this is going to be something so stereotypical that it verges on anti-Semitic. But the thing I most miss the most is pastrami on rye with a proper pickle. Can you not get that in Beit Shemesh? Israeli pastrami is not pastrami. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so so we you, can't, you can't get a loaf of rye bread for to save your life. So do you think there's job, uh, job opportunities for Manhattaners in, in Beit Shemesh to come forward and... Do, do what needs to be done to help Manhattaners cope? Uh, if someone would open a proper deli here, I would never leave. I think <laughs> I would uh, the wife and kids and move in. <laughs> Maybe it's a job opportunity for you. Maybe. One day. One day. When, when you, you've... Uh, I know you're also writing a book, so we should get back onto the serious job of journalism and what is facing Jews in the diaspora. Sam... Um, the ADL have real concerns about anti-Semitism to the extent that they've approached the Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, to appoint a special envoy. Can you tell me a bit about that? Well, we've had a special envoy position for a number of years. There have been two people who have held that position. It's actually mandated by Congress. According to federal law, the President and the Secretary of State are obligated legally. They don't have a choice. They have no right to say no. They have to appoint someone. But they're refusing to do so. And uh, not only that, but they've said, the Secretary of State has said that he finds the entire idea of having a special envoy to be counterproductive. And he is taking the last remaining uh, staffers from that office 
And instead of appointing someone to head the office, he's transferring them to other parts of the State Department. So while, as I said, while it's mandated by law and legally he has no right to do so, he's basically shutting down the office. Now, the Trump administration's argument is that it doesn't do anything. It's counterproductive. It uh, wastes resources. But the truth is it's the complete opposite. The Office of the Special Envoy on Anti-Semitism, his job is to be a specialist in this one issue. He looks into the issue. He goes to conferences. He meets with Jewish communities. He finds out facts, investigates, and then he interfaces with local embassies and consulates around the world. And let's say there's a problem in Budapest. So he'll call up the embassy in Budapest and go, okay, I know you have uh, talks with them regarding issue A, B, or C. Well, maybe you can insert this into there somewhere. Let them know that we would be very happy if they were to fix the issue, uh, anti specific anti-Semitic issue that we're worried about. It allows for a level of engagement and expertise uh, that you wouldn't have otherwise. And the, the issue of human rights has always been something that's been very closely tied in with American policy and diplomacy. Uh, so you'll see many times uh, the Americans bringing up issues of human rights uh, in trade talks or in uh, discussions on uh, technology transfers, whatever uh, is under discussion. And when you lose that special, uh, the, the, the uh, presence of a specialist on this issue, it means you, you're not going to be very uh, effective in dealing with it anymore. Uh, when the uh, Special Envoy puts out a report every year with the worst and the best in terms of anti-Semitism, foreign governments look to that and they want to improve their rankings mm. because they know it looks good for them. It's really... Is it something that's curing the ills of anti-Semitism? No. But is it something that's been very helpful for people in the front lines? Yes. And it, I don't think it's a waste of resources. It's maybe three, four people in an office, one guy uh, who heads it, you know, for a return on investment, I think this is incredibly good. And the issue at this point is less that we need the position than eliminating the position essentially tells people that whatever America's rhetoric, they don't care mm. about the mm. issue. It just sends the message, we do not care what happens to Jews. We will say all the statements we want, but we are eliminating the practical steps that we are legally mandated to take in order to protect them. Sam, how do you think this will play itself out? The one thing I always say when people ask me what's going to happen is I'm wary of prognostication. <laughs> uh, it's always hard to know what's going to happen. And all the more so when it comes to the Trump administration, uh, I think that this is something uh, that's a common misconception when people interview experts on uh, in the media. Keep in mind, I'm not necessarily an expert. I'm a journalist myself, but uh, it is, we assume that expertise uh, equates to the ability to predict. It really doesn't. Expertise means that someone, the expert can give probabilities for what's most likely to happen with a much greater accuracy than the average person and has a good idea of how ex post facto to explain things. But I don't think even the biggest experts on U.S. diplomacy or anti-Semitism 
would be, or the Trump administration would be able to predict anything with this. Uh, at, at root, it's because the Trump administration is entirely unpredictable, <laughs> and it's run by a man who, you know, between you and me, he's a lunatic. <laughs> uh, what is the feeling of, uh, among American jury at the moment? Uh, uh, is there discomfort, or are they just... Because I know that a, a, a number of people supported Trump, obviously. <laughs> uh, look, it depends on the sector. The Orthodox and the ultra-Orthodox are much more likely to, uh, you know, to support Trump. And do they still the, support him? I mean, are they they're not disappointed since he's come into... I think a lot of people around the States are disappointed, but his base is just as strong as it was. Uh, it's just everybody else in the country who dislikes him greatly. Uh, look, the truth is most people in the organized Jewish community are not Trump supporters. Uh, the people, ADL, World Jewish, Con well, leave me out, uh, with ADL, Conference of Presidents, these are not groups that are necessarily going to take a position one way or the other, mm -hmm. but I doubt most of them are Trump supporters. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think that the average Jew doesn't know about this and doesn't care, mm. honestly. It's one of these things you really have to be communally connected, hooked mm. in, care about Jewish politics, care about these issues. For the people who do follow these issues, I think it's very disturbing. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take a, a, a short break, but after the break, we're going to discuss the shocking incident in Paris where a Jewish woman was killed and the French government are refusing to acknowledge anti-Semitism. Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. And I'm talking to Sam Sukkel, who is my regular correspondent, to talk about issues facing Jews in the diaspora. Uh, Sam, what exactly happened in France? So several months ago, a uh, Jewish woman, uh, around 60, 60-something, 60 uh, Sarah Halimi, was thrown out of a window by a Muslim neighbor uh, who, as he uh, as he killed her, screamed Alu Akbar. So after the uh, initial arrest, uh, he claimed uh, an insanity, temporary insanity defense, and the police threw him into, uh, essentially bunged him up in the loony bin, threw him uh, into a psychiatric uh, institution. And now this is something that is one of the most obvious cases you can have of anti-Semitism. It's a guy who had a history of making anti-Semitic remarks, throwing a Jew out a window while screaming Alu Akbar. It doesn't get any clearer than that. And, but the initial response was to assume he was insane. And since then, uh, draft copies of the, uh, of the indictment that have been seen uh, by journalists make no mention of hate crimes. No, nobody in the police is discussing that, uh, any, that any facet of this, uh, this crime could have been anti-Semitic. And the Jewish community for months has been outraged. And it's finally come to a head. The uh, CRIF, that's the Representative Council of French Jewish Institutions, I guess it's the, uh, you could call it the French uh, equivalent of the uh, Board of Deputies, came out with a statement, very strong statement, accusing French authorities essentially of covering it up, of covering up the anti-Semitic aspect. And uh, the reason, at least what's being bandied around in the Jewish media, is uh, that French Jews believe that the anti-Semitic nature of the crime was covered up because the perpetrator was a Muslim. And 
nobody wanted to give ammunition to Marine Le Pen in the far right going into the elections. And could be true, could be not. That's the what French Jews think. That's what's going on, what everyone's saying in the press. Uh, but the the Kreef came out with their statement, which was very strong, saying the murder had been 85 days ago and the investigation isn't advancing. Why this silence? Why this omerta? Omerta is an Italian term referring to the code of silence among members of the mafia. So the French Jewish community on an official level is accusing their own government of mafia tactics. <laughs> Uh, so they're going. They asked, "What is being hidden? Why this denial of anti-Semitism?" And the community is outraged because anti-Semitism is a major problem in France, uh, especially especially Muslim anti-Semitism. <laughs> and to see the uh, communal heads, uh, you know, feeling that they're being ignored, to see the uh, the law enforcement arm of the country essentially saying. What, a guy throwing a Jew out of a window yelling Alu Akbar? Anti-Semitic? No. I mean, that really upsets people, and I get it. It's uh, it's infuriating. Um, I have a SMS saying, please to ask you, do you think anti-Semitism is ordained? You mean uh, on a theological level? I guess. I think that that requires its own episode uh, a, a separate interview totally maybe several uh, I have to say that I'm not sure that I want to get into the theology of anti-Semitism I will uh, at the moment uh, I have my own thoughts but I will say it's one of the most persistent and malleable uh, types of you know types of uh, what's the word I'm looking for I've been in Israel too long I'm, I'm losing my English <laughs> And not gaining enough Hebrew to, to make up. Uh, well, it's one of the worst types of racism out there. And it always finds a new form in every country and every age. Uh, whether or not it's divinely ordained, it's, it certainly feels like it. <laughs> um, well, Sam, I mentioned earlier that you, you were writing a book. You know, and you've mentioned on the show before that your wife is, is um, French. You have uh, uh, traveled widely, specifically in the Ukraine, where you deal with Jewish communities in Eastern Europe that are constantly under stress. And, um, you know, we can look at what is happening possibly in the Czech Republic at the moment or even among the Hungarian government. Do you have any thoughts about Eastern Europe ever being able to shake off anti-Semitism? Uh, look, it's it's very hard. They're, the the Eastern Europeans lived for decades under the communists, who essentially said, listen, you're all good communists. You didn't take part in these crimes. It was the Germans. It was the fascists. They didn't have to come to a moral reckoning like uh, like the countries in the West. In the West. And they are there's a great deal of reluctance to do so in fact most countries in eastern europe are going in the opposite direction rather than saying we didn't do anything uh we did something and we have to be sorry for that and we have to acknowledge our crimes their response is simply to say we're going to honor the people who did kill the jews because they didn't really kill the jews and if we admit they killed the jews then we look bad and we feel bad about ourselves so we're going to go the opposite direction and say the people who did kill the jews didn't and they're really heroes. And that's what we see all over. We saw that now in Hungary, 
where uh, the increasingly authoritarian President uh, Viktor Orban has said that uh, Miklos Horthy, who was the leader of the uh, Hungarian state uh, during the war until the German occupation, that he was uh, this great statesman. And Horthy, until the, until, uh, the Germans actually came in and took over Hungary, he had been a German ally. He had passed on his own uh, anti-Semitic uh, legislation similar to the Nuremberg Laws. He had uh, expelled tens of thousands of Jews to their deaths. The guy was by any, any standard a horrible, worthless human being. And they're holding him up as an example. The same thing is happening now in Ukraine again. And I always go back to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It's happening again. The, uh, the Ukrainians uh, just held a, uh, or are about to hold a uh, three-day festival. Uh, actually, I think they're holding it today, starting it. A festival in the uh, western Ukrainian city of, of Lviv in honor of uh, Roman Shukhevich. This was the head of a uh, Ukrainian militia which collaborated with the Nazis and which was responsible for the deaths of thousands of Jews and a hell of a lot more Poles. This guy was a genocidal lunatic. Mm. And they're holding festivals to honor him where this few remaining members of this group, which again was a genocidal terrorist organization, are marching in uniform through the streets and people Mm. are proud. (laughs) These are people... And look, they're in their 90s. Mm. And but and I don't say this lightly, but these are people who should be ripped from their beds, <laughs> thrown into a cell and left to die. Sam, I'm going to have to stop you there, though, Sam. We, I, I, on, that, on that thought, we're going to have to leave stop the interview me. today. But <laughs> the good news is that we speak again in two weeks' time, and I'm looking forward to, to kind of carrying on the conversation with you. So thank you so much for joining me, and Shabbat Shalom. Enjoy your own brew the rest of it.